Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep was written by Stephen King and was published in 2013. And the film adaptation came out in 2019, just last week, uh, and was directed by Mike Flanagan. And it's more Stephen King. Yes. <laughs> We've done so many Stephen King this, episodes this year. This year, yeah. yeah. We did Pet Cemetery, The Shining, mm-hmm. which is a good one to listen to if you're listening to this one and haven't. Yeah. And uh, It, Chapter 1 and 2. Yep. And now this. And now this. I would definitely recommend listening to our episode on The Shining if you haven't yet, because we talk about both the book and the movie in a lot of detail. Yes. And that really does come into play in this adaptation, which is interesting. Even so so much more than than I thought it would. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And for anyone who uh, doesn't know, obviously the Kubrick movie, The Shining, is very acclaimed. It's a cult classic now. Yeah. So many people know it. But, and it is one of Stephen King's most liked Adaptations. Yes. However, not, not by, by Stephen King. Not by Stephen King, the Stephen man himself. Stephen King notoriously hates the Stanley Kubrick version of mm-hmm. his movie. And it's interesting because I feel like almost when he was writing the sequel, writing Dr. Sleep, he was intentionally being like, well, it's not the movie version. Like, it's yeah. different. You know, he was going off of his book, um, writing his own thing. And then this movie adaptation of Dr. Sleep. <laughs> Seems like it's trying to please everyone, people that like the books and people that like the movie. Yeah, because it's it's a for the most part, a very true adaptation to the book. Yeah. Which is a sequel to the book where at the end of the novel, The Shining. Yeah. Spoilers for this, but like for The Shining, uh, the hotel explodes at the end. Yeah. And it's a very different ending. So. At the, like you said, right at the beginning of Dr. Sleep, it's like, the hotel exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you forgot. Yeah, kind yeah. of like correcting if you are misremembering it for the Kubrick version. Yeah. So even, the book is very much a sequel to the book, whereas the movie, trying to be true to the book, is also a sequel to the Kubrick version where things played out very differently. Yeah. And so it, it's just this, like, tangled yarn that... Adaptation on adaptation on adaptation. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Views and visions morphing together and yeah. everyone trying to be pleased. Mm-hmm. And it gave us this movie. Yeah. Dr. Sleep. And we're here to untangle it to the best of our ability yeah. for you listeners. But it is confusing. So uh, we will do our best. Get your cork boards out with like <laughs> your, your yarn. Yeah. To like <laughs> connect everything. Yes. Uh-huh. But let's uh get to it though yeah let's start with where we left off in the shining mm-hmm. um with young danny yes danny is understandably traumatized following the events of his dad trying to kill him absolutely in both versions yeah and he's just he and his mom are now living in florida i believe when this initial sequence takes place yeah and it starts with danny going to pee in the middle of the night and who's waiting for him but bathtub lady but bathtub lady (laughs) we all know who we're talking about that naked corpse Uh uh-huh and he's just horrified Mm -hmm. um and then is like you know not talking again and freaking out and Mm -hmm. his mom doesn't know what to do 
because she's like a single mom now and yeah. it's just like can I just have like a normal <laughs> can life this just stop <laughs> in the movie um Dick Hallerman who was the man who was the cook and who had the shining and like helped them at the end is killed in the movie yeah so in the movie version of Dr. Sleep, they have to kind of follow that, that he's still dead. So they actually have like the ghost of Dick show up to talk to Danny. Yeah. And the scene plays out like pretty much identically from book to movie. It's yeah. just in the movie, he's a ghost. Yeah, because he doesn't die in the book. Yeah. And it's a little disappointing, too, because I I really loved in the book that Dick was still there for him. Yeah. Not just spiritually. Yeah, yeah. But like in real life. And he kind of became like this really good role model who helped Danny through these times times in his life with The Shining and everything going on. So, yeah, uh, you know, I was glad they still kept it in the movie. But I really like in the book that Danny still had Dick around for the most part. Yes, absolutely. Dick talks to him about how sometimes these malevolent spirits um, feed on The Shining energy. And we did learn that in the book version of The Shining when he talks about how Danny's strong, shining presence kind of brought these spirits to life yeah, uh, a little more strongly than they might have been normally. But they're kind of following him around, and Dick shows Danny how to contain them. He gives him a locked box. Yes. And talks about, like, he gives him a physical one, and then he's like, build a mental one in your mind and use your power to keep those spirits locked away. Yeah, so... The next time he encounters uh, Mrs. Massey, I believe is her name, the bathtub woman. Bathtub lady. It's just so funny. She's just always like, I just want a good bath. Like, <laughs> I just need to find a good bathtub. I mean, that's how she died. So It, it is. But like, she's just, that's where she feels comfortable and at yeah, home is in yeah. a bathtub. Exactly. Uh, but Danny encounters her once again in their apartment. But this time he like confronts her. He like walks in the room and like locks the door. Yeah. And then you hear her screaming and she gets... Locked away. Locked away in his mental box. Mm-hmm. Gone forever. And so Danny, we find out later on, he has to do this with other ghosts from the Overlook that kind of keep popping up in his life. Yeah. But he's able to. He has this, like, these series of boxes that he's able to lock these spirits away in mm-hmm. uh, to kind of protect himself. Yeah. Um. Let's just talk a little bit about the recasting in the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because obviously the movie Shining you know, was made in the 80s. So they couldn't have the same actors come back. So they had a new um, character play Danny, a new character play Wendy, Dick as well. And then maybe someone uh, else, someone else in the end. Later on. (laughs) Honestly, so when the trailer first dropped for this, there's a quick shot of Dick where he's talking kind of to the camera and I forget the line, but I thought it was uh, Scatman um, Carruthers? Carruthers who Carruthers. played him in the the Shining version. And I was like, oh, are they doing like a DA? Or, well, I'm sure he, he's probably, he might not be <laughs> with us anymore. <laughs> but um, I was like, are they doing a CGI thing for this? Yeah. Uh, but really, it's a totally different actor. And he in particular, who plays Dick, not only looks so much like him, but acts so he much like him. nails the mannerisms. It is perfect. And... You know, it's a, still a little tiny bit, not distracting, but you notice. Yeah. But I mean, in a later scene when he comes back, I wasn't bothered by it at all. I was like totally no believing this performance. Yeah. I feel like the the Wendy 
the woman who plays Wendy was fine. I mean, Shelley Duvall is just such a interesting looking person. Yes. I'm like, you're never going to find anyone who looks like her. No, at all. absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and her performance in The Shining is so specific in a way. Yeah. And she actually does capture her kind of breathy, high voice. Yeah. Pretty well. Mm-hmm. But she just doesn't look like Shelley Duvall all that much. No. And so that was a little bit more. But I was mostly fine with this because it's like they're going to have to recast them. It's like. a pretty small role. I will say, though, it makes it worse, though, that at the end of the movie, they do show flashbacks. Yeah. To Kubrick's Shining. I know. That was weird. It was. I'm like, why would you do that? We know what we're doing here. Yeah. Like, you don't need to remind us. I like. know. First of all, it was totally unnecessary. But it's even worse when you have recasted those yeah. actors to show Shelley the Duvall. The contrast. Yeah. yeah. At least they should have like recreated those scenes with the new actors potentially. But even then, I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. So it just was an odd choice in my mind. Mm-hmm. But Danny kind of masters this technique of locking away these ghosts that have been continuously haunting him because he can't get a fucking break. <laughs> he can't get a moment's <laughs> peace. Um, and then we also find out about this group of other evil forces in the world. The true not. The true not. And actually, the movie begins firstly with a scene with Rose the Hat, the yes. leader of the true not, and her talking to this little girl, this like sweet little girl. Yes. And this scene is so well done with like the other true not members. Oh my God. The little up. girl like looks and there's like suddenly like two people standing in the woods mm-hmm. and Rose is like, it's fine. They're my We're, friends. Yeah. And then the little girl like looks back later and there's like eight of them. And they're like perfectly spaced between the trees. Oh, it's so creepy. I, I guess now's a good time to say the cinematography in this movie. Yeah. Was gorgeous. It was. I thought it was so well done. Mm-hmm. So many great shots. It felt like in the language of Kubrick, but not like just. No, it wasn't trying to recreate that. No, yeah. not in the new stuff anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was very, very good and just like really heightened the movie a lot for me. It kind of felt like it was really trying to earn its place beside Kubrick's film yeah. without impersonating it. Mm-hmm. And I was really grabbed and hooked by this like early on. I thought it was like really just good filmmaking. Absolutely. Yeah. But of course the girl is killed. We don't know. We're like, what happened? We just see her get swarmed on. Yeah. But we find out kind of that they're this traveling band of baboons. (laughs) (laughs) What? That just made me think of like a trap, like a something band of baboons. Like, I don't know. Band of baboons sounds like something. I'm, I'm not sure. In the book, they're kind of painted as like these middle aged losers. Yeah. Which was weird because it was hard for me to picture See, almost. I really loved that in the book. Yeah. How uh, just unassuming and discreet they were. They just look like a bunch of like old motorhome people. Yeah. With like cheesy like uh, rest stop t shirts. Yeah. You know what I mean? With like quotes on them and just so unassuming. But something about that, because like King kind of takes a, a decent chunk of the book to talk about them and being like, 
they're like any other RV family that you would like run into on a road trip. Like the kind who want to show you pictures of their grandkids. Yeah. And, like he kind of really plays into the the regularness. Yeah. Of their evil. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I I did appreciate that. And I liked how and I also liked in the movie, they're not quite as tacky in their dress and everything. Yeah. But they still have that feeling to them. Yeah. Yeah, they. I read a movie review that said Rose dresses like Stevie Nicks, <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of does. And she has this hat that she wears mm-hmm. that's kind of like this magician bowler type hat, they, which I liked the look. Yeah, I do too. They in the book it's described as like a full on top hat. Yeah, I think the movie did a good job cutting it. Like it's like a half top hat. Yeah, <laughs> like a little more. Low key, yeah. Given it's in present day, so mm-hmm. but she's got a great look to her. Yes, I loved the actress who played Rose. Oh, she's fantastic, and of course, I didn't write her name down. I can't remember, but the only other thing I know her from is the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, but she's excellent in this. She's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a scene early on where the True Not find this girl in the movie. She's fifteen. In the book, she's in her twenties. Um, but she has some shining in her and what she's doing is she uses her gifts to kind of, um, go on these dates with men, put them to sleep, steal from them and then like cut their faces. Yeah. Which is interesting in the movie. It's definitely played as like, she's preying on pedophiles cause she's 15. Yeah. And so she's meeting these like adult men and you know cuts them and stuff which is cool but (laughs) (laughs) which is awesome (laughs) but the knot is like hey you should join us yeah uh we need someone with your abilities because they do they prey on children but they do occasionally recruit someone to join their ranks yeah and i think in the book at least they say like we haven't invited anyone for like 40 years yeah and the other thing worth mentioning about the true knot is in the book, there's like 40 of them. Yeah. There's, they're quite a big group. The movie, I think, makes a smart choice by reducing them. There's like 10 of them? There's like 10, yeah, yeah. roughly. To like kind of the main characters who are mentioned in the book. Yeah. It's a much, or yeah, yeah. It's a much more um, reduced number, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So they have this whole scene where they turn Andy, who's mm-hmm. the, the one that puts people to sleep and then cuts them. And this really reminded me of this like vampire angle Mm, yeah because the true knot they feed on they call it steam but it's basically they feed on shining in children yeah they like suck it out but it does have this vampire angle to it because they feed off of that and the whole like vocabulary about turning andy like she turns into something different yeah and i thought the uh the, the movie does bar this visual, too, but, like, in the book, when they're turned, and also later, if they're dying and they're cycling, yeah. like, they start becoming transparent, yeah. like, their skin and then their muscles, and, like, they watch, like, oh, their skull is there, and then yeah. not, and then only their eyes are floating, and it's kind of a cool visual. Yeah. And the movie does this, too, to an extent, in a really weird, unsettling, it just felt very unique, yeah. which I appreciate, because I feel like... It feels hard sometimes to do anything monster related like that that still feels unique and fresh. Yeah. I think so. I I like that the movie still pulled from that visual. Mm hmm. Absolutely. It's very creepy. Very, very creepy. Because are they even human anymore? 
I don't think they are. Probably not. They're all just mist. Yeah. They're like super old, though, because like eating the shining keeps them alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we get a bit of a, a time jump yeah. here. Uh, I like in the book, King, use, he marks time by talking about the presidents. Yeah. And not just naming them, but being like the peanut farmer president. The actor president. Yeah, the cowboy president. <laughs> the saxophone president. <laughs> uh, but we get a bit of a, a jump to Danny, now an adult. Yes. In his 20s, I think, or early 30s is when this scene takes place. Yeah. Uh, life has not gone well for Dan. No. Um, we find out very quickly that he has become an alcoholic, which is really sad because that's where his father, Jack, was in the book The Shining and what he was struggling with. Um, but we also learn that Dan uses alcohol to, like, keep his shining down because yeah. he's, like, constantly bombarded with, you know, all of these effects of his gift. And so he's muting it with alcohol. But we get this really incredibly intense scene that affects Dan later on where he kind of like hits rock bottom. Yeah. uh huh. He wakes up with this woman after just a night of binge drinking and they had purchased Coke that night. And even though it was more Dini, the girl he was with who did it. He realizes like that's where all of his money went because he doesn't have his paycheck anymore. Yeah. And so she's still asleep and he decides to like take the money out of her wallet because he's like she basically owes me like I paid for the coke. Yeah. And this is like essentially my money. Mm -hmm. And as he's taking it, he sees that she has a son. Yeah. And so Danny cleans up the coke so the kid can't like get to it and like puts the kid in the bedroom. Yeah. And it's kind of the clearly this moment like she has a bunch of food stamps in her wallet. Like she is clearly not in a good place. And even in the book, he can his shining tells him that the little boy is being abused yeah. by his uh, uncle. And so just like this terrible situation, but he still takes the money and leaves. He still ends up taking the money. And this scene ends up haunting him a lot later mm-hmm. in life because it's, I think, the thing that he most regrets. And he, after this, he kind of like is living this nomadic life. And eventually he makes his way to teeny town (laughs) (laughs) or to Frasier. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Frasier has this like park area that has like a miniature uh, town town within it and the teeny town train. Yes. Which is like this train ride. But it like goes like for miles. Yeah. Like you ride it like way far out on this track and then back. It's very odd. Yeah. Uh, The movie does include this to an extent. But essentially when Dan gets there, he's still struggling with his alcoholism. He wants to be sober. He does. And in the book specifically, when he stops there, he's like, something makes me feel like I should stay here maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of throws his bottle away that he had, the alcohol, and he meets Billy. Yeah. Who works at Teeny Town. Mm -hmm. And Billy's like this really kind guy, like real... Danny immediately detects he has some shine to him. A hint of the shining. A hint. Where Billy just gets a good feeling about someone sometimes. And he has this camaraderie with Dan instantly. And Dan ends up getting, you know, a room somewhere. And he, Billy is going to maybe hook him up with a job and things like that. But Dan is obviously still trying to 
become sober and he's clearly like going through withdrawals at this point. Yeah. Um, and he has like a couple episodes where he's in this like apartment room and has these like horrible nightmares is like completely being haunted and feels like he can't control himself. And he discovers in one of these episodes that Deanie, the woman he stole the money from and her son are both dead now. Yeah. Because they appear to him in his Mm -hmm. dreams And I think part of him feels that some of that may be his fault, even though there was probably nothing he could have done to stop their deaths. But it it is feeding into that like self-loathing and horror that he drinks to escape. Yeah. Um, But he does end up going to Billy in the movie and in the book, Billy finds Dan and basically says like, I need help. Yeah. And so, and this is kind of where, It's interesting. There's two characters in the book and essentially they're combined into one character in the movie. And I totally understand why. Yeah. Essentially, there's another character in the book called Casey Mm -hmm. and he's the guy who actually employs Danny. Yeah. And Billy takes Danny to Casey when he realizes he has a drinking problem because Casey used to as well. Yeah. And he's in AA and he tells Danny, you know, I'll listen I'll sponsor you and I'll help you. But like the moment you fuck up, you're done. Yeah. You know, I want you to attend 90 uh, AA meetings in 90 days. Like he lays out all these very strict rules for Danny. Mm -hmm. But Danny kind of sees it as like, maybe this is the chance I need. Maybe this is the moment I need. Yeah. And I actually really loved all the parts with AA in them in the book. I did too. I loved this a lot because I think it's something that. You see in movies a lot, you see people in a circle talking about their addiction, you know, whether it's AA or Narcotics Anonymous. Is that the other equivalent? And but this book really gets into the mentality of it, uh, kind of what they actually believe in, how they practice it. Some of their weird like sayings. They have so many sayings. Yeah. Apparently. (laughs) And but I really loved it for that because it really felt I don't know obviously Stephen King has had problems with substance abuse in the past and he is sober now I don't know if he ever went to Alcoholics Anonymous or not I tried to find out but I couldn't find any information online if he had been part of it if you know please uh reach out to us but I know at least he had friends in AA so it really feels though like he knows what he's talking about when he's talking about AA. Yes. Yeah. It, it feels authentic and real and handled uh, appropriately. And I, I want to say, too, that like things in both versions of the story, like go well for Danny from here. He's able to stick with the program. He's able to stay sober. Yeah. Through some different through different trials and stuff. He's able to stick with it. And I really loved this quality about both stories. Yeah. But specifically in the book, too, it came through really well that, like, suddenly Danny has, like, this support network around him. Yeah. He has people a- that care about him. Yeah. People that hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this is a really sharp contrast to the book, The Shining, you know? Yes. Because that is a story about a man who is doing his best, but ultimately fails. Yeah, I I feel like The Shining is very real in a different way about what a lot of alcoholics go through. Like, if you try to white-knuckle it and just get through it, and what happens when you backslide, and, Mm -hmm. like, the destruction that can come from it. And, like, 
I do appreciate The Shining for that realness. Yeah, but this is a lot more still real, but an optimistic story about how you can get better. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to always go this way if you're you struggle with addiction. And I really thought that was important to see. And you really believed it for Danny too. Yeah. Because especially seeing him as a child and it's so sad to see what he becomes as an adult. So you really are rooting for that, for him to get better, for him to make that change. And it feels very positive and very impactful. Yeah. So it, it you know, I I really loved this aspect of the book a lot and it felt very Uh, Like you said, just optimistic about the future, whereas The Shining got so dark and bleak and sad in so many ways that like by the first end of the first act of this book, when he's turned his life around, it like feels well earned. Yeah. And but not like. Still real. Yeah. I mean, like it was a struggle. Yeah. So. But so Danny like, we get a, a, a jump forward in time. Yeah. And in the movie, there's this great scene where he's celebrating eight years sober. Mm-hmm. And he gives a little speech. And this wasn't in the book. No. So it was a really good addition. But he was just kind of giving a speech saying, like, how he felt closer to his dad in that moment. Yeah. Because the only thing he ever knew through his dad was drinking. That was the only connection he ever felt like he had with his dad because he didn't know him that well. Yeah. But he's like... Now I know that, like, at one point, my dad stood where I stood, wanting to be a better man yeah. for the future, and he felt closer to him in that regard, mm-hmm. in that moment. And I really loved that scene a lot. Yeah, and believing that his father had tried. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was important. We do find out, too, that Dan gets a job later as a hospice worker, mm-hmm. and this is where the title comes from, Dr. Sleep, and the patients and the other employees in the hospice start calling him Dr. Sleep because he has this gift, and it's really dark, but really great, and I love this so much. Basically, uh, Dan's job is to kind of help people, these patients that are dying, to pass over peacefully. Yeah, yeah. And without fear. Um, and it's really interesting. The setup is sort of like there's this cat. The cat. There's this hospice cat that's really great. But like every so often it'll go into a patient's room and like sit on their bed. And the hospice workers know they're like, when the cat goes in there, that person is going <laughs> to die like within a few hours. Yeah, their time, even if they feel great. Yeah. They just like know like this is the sign. Like the cat can sense it. And so whenever the cat goes in the room, they page Dr. Sleep. Yeah. They're like, hey, Dan, uh, Azzy, the cat is in such and such's room. You better get down there. Yeah. And so he'll go down. And I another addition that the movie makes is that we see Dan's first time doing this. In the book, it kind of implies that he knows he's had this power for and a has while done it before because he, he's always worked in hospitals and stuff but like this time we see for the first time him trying to comfort this man he just doesn't want to be alone yeah and danny takes his hand and kind of like they start talking and i, I love how quiet it is there's nothing crazy about it no it's not dramatic no danny just starts to get these like images of the person's life yeah and like from childhood to adulthood like all these great moments i think kind of like feeding them back into the person's memory yeah and 
kind of just telling them like, all you have to do is fall asleep. It's as easy as that. Mm-hmm. And it's just these they're really touching moments, both in both versions. In both versions, they're very touching. And it's not even clear exactly what Dan does. It's sort of left to your interpretation. Yeah. But his presence there is very soothing for these patients. And he essentially, I think, gives them like a painless, a peaceful, and almost like a spiritual passing on yeah and he provides that almost like a last rites type mm-hmm. comfort to these people holds their hand speaks to their mind is there with them as they like walk through that final door and i just these scenes in the book especially i was just very touched i was too i was like getting them. teary-eyed yeah reading they about them just beautiful yeah and a big theme of this book is death. Yeah. Which in a Stephen King book, it's like, whoa, of course. yeah, duh. <laughs> but I, this book deals with death in a way that's like so much more nuanced, I think, than a lot of his Absolutely. other stories. Yeah. Where, you know, uh, there's a character, Abra's grandmother in the story who they just call Momo. Mm-hmm. But we see her kind of like aging and kind of how the body deteriorates yeah. and just falls apart and that decline can happen very quickly and how horrifying that is, not just for the person, but for their family. Absolutely. And, you know, her grandmother in the story was this like award winning poet, this really well read, you know, well spoken woman who had lived a really remarkable life. Yeah. But when she's like finally deteriorating, like she's left like laying on the ground crying because she broke her arm and it's yeah. like so sad and shocking mm-hmm. and we also have to see how her daughter takes care of her and so the book does really it, it's a strong theme especially tying back into tying it back to the true knot <laughs> so to speak <laughs> yeah and their refusal to embrace death exactly how yeah. they're fighting it and trying to stay alive as long as humanly possible so it's a really good theme that's woven through this story in like a lot of different nuanced ways that I really appreciated. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Abra, we meet Abra uh, in this story around this time. She's a little girl in a nearby town that's born and she has even more shining than Dan had when he was a child. And Dan kind of has like a contact with her over the years just because her mind kind of like naturally reaches out yeah. And he hears her thoughts sometimes. And eventually they kind of start communicating. Uh, Dan has this like chalkboard in his room and she starts to like kind of write on it with her mind. Yeah. It's kind of cute. It is cool. And he just like he knows she's a younger girl. And so like he'll just like write little messages to her. Yeah. Like kind of joking that they're pen pals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he has this and he kind of wonders is this why I was drawn to this town and why I wanted to stay here is because of this girl's presence in the area. It's like unclear, but that's kind of what he's getting the feeling of. Yeah. And time goes by. Mm -hmm. Um, Abra gets older. And when things start to really pick up in the story, she's 13. Yes. And we get the murder of the baseball boy. Yes, Bradley Trevor. Bradley Trevor. And this, I think, is an important scene for viewers and readers because we're really figuring out like what the knot really does Yes. to survive. Um, we're really seeing it in action. And we're also being shown, you know, what could happen to Abra. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's a really good moment for establishing the stakes of the story 
and also for how monstrous the true knot is. Yeah. Because I really do like the true knot in the story because they're kind of a family. They are. They're like they have this really familial relationship, even though they're not related to one another. Yeah. They they have partnerships. Yeah. And they care about one another like genuinely. Yeah. But the problem is they see themselves as like almost like a higher being than people. Yeah. So they really have no uh, sympathy, sympathy or compassion. Yeah, for normal people. So And they view these children with the shining as food. You mm-hmm. know, they're not people. But, you know, it is unfortunate that we have to have such a scene. And I know it is probably very upsetting um, for some people that might watch the movie or read the book. I know it was very upsetting for me because this is just a scene of them murdering a child and not only murdering a child, but torturing him. Yeah. Extensively. Because it like purifies his essence that they feed on. Yeah. Uh, So they're basically like cutting him up and. Really, it's awful Um, and sucking up his steam the whole time. And Abra can feel this happening. Yeah. Her shining is so strong. It's like halfway across the country, but she can still sense it. She has this horrifying nightmare and is screaming um, because she can feel what they're doing to him. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning that um, the actor who plays the kid in the movie is Jacob Tremblay. Wow. Who starred in Room as the young kid. And it's such a (laughs) small role, but he's so believable in it and so good. I was reading that behind the scenes, they were doing this scene, and the woman who plays Rose the Hat was like, like when it started and he starts screaming and acting, she like (laughs) stopped and like everyone got really like, uncomfortable because like they couldn't even get through their lines because he was so believable oh my god and then of course they yell cut and he like jumps up and like runs over (laughs) like he's like suddenly fine fine. and everyone was like shaken because he was so good well let me just say it's a hella upsetting scene so (laughs) i only experienced half of it because i'd use the bathroom (laughs) just to say but yeah so they kill him and it is this kind of like prolonged scene to an extent in the movie, but I think that's important. And we see how as he screams, his steam is coming out and they're like feeding on it. And Abra is there like psychically watching it. Yeah. And Rose the Hat is aware they have like a someone wa- watching. Yeah. And so once they're done and they've finally killed him, they they bury the body and Rose is like, we have a steam head, as they call them, yeah, watching us. And she is, like, powerful. Very powerful. And we need to get her and eat her. <laughs> get that steam. <laughs> uh, and Abra's definitely concerned about this. Later on, she, in the movie, she seeks out this information to try to find out who the boy is. In the book, she actually stumbles across a photo of him in like the area shopper saying that he's missing. And she's able to look at his picture and like psychically connect to the event that she partially witnessed. So she is connecting with it. She's trying to find out what happened. She sees the location where this murder took place. And so she knows that that's where he's buried. Yeah, but as she's connecting with this she happens to go in the brain in the mind of rose the hat herself while Mm -hmm. she's just shopping in supermarket yeah they kind of switch places the book calls it turning the wheel yes and i want to say the movie has this amazing visual for this where the whole room 
literally tilts. Yeah. And like Abra in this scene is like holding onto the windowsill and she just like her whole body lifts up like she's hanging from it. And then falls. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even after that, when she's like going through the aisle of the shopping of the uh, grocery store, she's like floating through it. Yeah. In a weird way. There's just like a lot of great Great visuals. choices. Yeah. To like convey all of this psychic uh, phenomenon that's going on throughout the story. So I wanted to give a shout out to that art direction. Yeah. Where all of that's concerned and the cinematography and everything. It is really different and cool and well done. Yeah. Rose tries to get like Abra to look in the mirror so she can see what she looks like or find out where she lives. And then Abra like instantly like severs the connection is able to change it back. But of course now Rose is like, wow, she's so much more powerful than I thought. We have to get her like right now. Yeah. Get that steam. Yeah. And And Abra is like, I need help basically. Yeah. So she finally decides to meet with this person that she's been mentally connected to who she's never met or doesn't know what they look like or anything like that. Mm hmm. In the movie, I appreciate she just, like, is able to track him down. Yeah, it makes sense that she would be able to find him based on his shining. Yeah. In the book, they, like, exchange emails (laughs) through the blackboard and then are emailing and then, like... And Dan's like, I'm a predator because I'm emailing a 13-year-old girl. He's like, delete these emails. (laughs) But they do eventually meet in public. And they have this really great scene together where, you know... Dan is finally kind of in this mentor position. Yeah, he's in the same spot that Dick was in mm-hmm. when Dick meets a young Danny, where they have this like one-on-one where he's like, I always called it The Shining. Yeah. And I thought, you, I bet you thought you were the only one too. Mm-hmm. And I also like, I, and I just kind of made this comparison now. It's kind of alluded to, but like the fact that in The Shining, Danny, this young boy, pulls Dick into this story that gets him killed slash almost gets him killed, (laughs) depending on the version. And this is like the exact same thing where Danny's just living his life and then Abra pulls him into this story of the true knot and everything that's going on. So it's like a cool parallel. It is. That I like in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the movie, Danny is kind of like, she tells him everything and he's like, listen, just stay out of it. Yeah. Like. Don't get involved. They're dangerous. Try to keep your shining down. Yeah, I can't get involved. Mm -hmm. In the book, he's a little more like... We'll figure it out, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try to find what we can do. In both versions, though, he does make contact with Dick's ghost. It's kind of sad in the book... Dan talks about how he lost contact with Dick over the years. Yeah. And didn't even know when he died. Um, But... Either way, Dan is in the hospice and he's visited by Dick's ghost. Yeah. And I think the book version of this was like really cool. Yeah. Because actually Danny is once again comforting this woman as she passes away. Yeah. And she's kind of like talking about ghosts being in the room and stuff, which is like very creepy and weird. Yeah. And she dies. But then suddenly she starts talking again. Mm -hmm. And you realize that it's Dick talking through her. Yeah. And, like, that's how this whole scene happens is Dick speaking through her. Yeah. Uh, In the movie, it's a little bit more just like, oh, he's a ghost who's there. It's the force ghost. (laughs) (laughs) But essentially, Dick is like, listen, I'm here to tell you, you have to help this girl. Yeah. Like, he calls the true not empty devils. Empty devils. I love that. So good. Yeah. It's so great. 
But essentially, it's like, you can't ignore this. Like, you have to help her. Yeah. Uh, but I also liked how kind of heightening the mythos of this story, like, about the afterlife and stuff. At one yeah. point, Dick says, like... This world is a dream within a dream to me now. Yeah, and it, like, hurts to be here. Yeah. Like, I can't be here too long. Mm-hmm. And I really... I especially like that in the book, how he's communicating through her. It's almost like a struggle yeah. to actually communicate with Danny. Like he has to like inhabit this body to do it. Yeah. And so that kind of adds to me, for me, like to this idea that, you know, there is this afterlife, but it is kind of distant in a way. Yeah. In the movie, he's just like, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but we get a crazy scene at like around the exact same time with Abra going to sleep and Rose the hat. She takes steam Mm -hmm. that they have in canisters, like in storage. Yeah. And she's like, I'm all hopped up on steam (laughs) and I'm going to get in this girl's head while she's asleep. Yeah. And find out who she is and where she lives and all this other shit. Yeah. And you can tell that Rose has done this many times before Mm -hmm. because she's a finder. She finds um, children with the the shining. But they don't say this in the movie, but Dan does warn Abra. He's like, set like an alarm in your head, like yeah. a mental alarm, because she's probably going to try to find you. Um, I'm guessing they probably filmed that and cut it in the movie. Maybe. Because Abra does seem to know what to do, like for some reason, without Dan having to tell her. I guess just once she had the mental connection, she may have figured it would be recreated or something like that. It is a little vague. Mm -hmm. The visuals, though, once again in the movie are so good. As Rose is trying to find Abra, it's this shot of her, like, floating over Like the world, yeah. Yeah, over the world. And then everything kind of spinning her into place in the room. Yeah. And her room is, like, filing cabinets now, Mm -hmm. which is described in the book that way, too. Yeah, and it's like the inside of her head. And so she starts going through these, like, cabinets to, like, figure out what she knows, who she is, all this other stuff. And that's when the alarm is trapped or triggered. And it's so cool. In both the book and the movie, like, the filing drawer just, like, shuts really hard and, like, slams Rose's hand in it. And she's, like, stuck. And she can't get her hand out. Oh, my God. So good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. Oh, God. Because when she has to pull her hand free. It like, yeah. In the movie, it's mangled. Like, it like horribly. peels her skin off. Oh, God. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, but then Abra appears and is like, yo, bitch, what up? <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go in your brain. And so she like is able to go in Rose's head into her like mind palace yeah quote unquote and starts like going through her shit yeah and so it's this really great like turning of power where suddenly rose is now at her mercy yeah and is like trapped i love it she kind of like takes on a persona in both versions in yeah. the in the movie she's like a vague character like an anime it character it seems kind of like an anime character uh, yeah in the book though she's apparently daenerys targaryen <laughs> from game of thrones yeah charging at her on a horse yeah so yeah. it's kind of wild but i liked it uh eventually rose does escape yeah but not before abra is able to like find out a lot about the true knot and who she is and everything else yeah and rose's hand when she wakes up is still like mangled oh God, like in so real gross. life it's yeah. so gross but i love it <laughs> And Abra is just like, I fucking hurt her. And she's like so happy about it. Yeah. So um, Abra and Dan actually kind of concoct a plan at this point 
for Dan to find the baseball glove from the boy that was murdered. Because Abra says, I saw when it was happening that one of the members of the True Knot, Barry, actually put the glove on. Yeah. And so she's like, if I have that glove, I'd be able to track them. So we know, like, if they're going to come for me or not. So Dan is like, okay, (laughs) I will go to Iowa and dig up the body of a boy who was murdered. This could definitely not go badly for me at all. It's funny because in the... Uh, movie he goes with Billy which makes a lot of sense in the book uh, another character who is a big player in the story is John who is a child pediatrician and is actually Abra's doctor yeah and so he kind of like knows a lot of the stuff going on with her yeah and he's also an Alcoholics Anonymous so he knows Danny yeah so it's kind of this like funny connection and Danny like ropes him into the story and is like hey do you want to go dig up a body dig up a child yeah but so he agrees. Billy agrees in the movie. Mm-hmm. They go there. They, they f- find the glove. Yeah. Honestly, no hitches in the plan. And they come back. Yeah. And they bring the glove to Abra. And Danny tells Abra, you have to tell your parents. Yes. About what's happening. And it's interesting because Abra was very psychic as a child and had a lot of these abilities that were manifesting when she was very young. And then as she got older, her ability didn't diminish, but she got better at hiding it because she knew that her parents were worried about her and that it made them upset to see her manifest these abilities. So she started hiding it. And so she was like, they think I'm normal now. I don't want to tell them. It's really sad. It is really sad. And it's another nice parallel once again to The Shining where it felt like Danny was constantly trying to protect his parents by not talking about the things that he was aware of. Yeah. So I appreciated that. And at this time in the story, her mom, Aubrey's mom, is actually taking care of her grandmother. Her great-grandmother. Her great-grandmother. Sorry, Momo. (laughs) Because she's sick with cancer at this point in the story. So it's just her dad. Her dad, who is suddenly like, God God damn it, my wife's gone and now I have to like deal with this insanity. David Stone, Aubrey's dad, is like the Charlie in the Bella universe <laughs> where he like can't feed himself now. Yeah. Oh my God, there's a whole paragraph in the book where uh, Aubrey's like, yeah, I would like come home from school, like take out the trash and um, do the dishes and the laundry and then get like the Roomba started to like vacuum and then I'll, I'll like make breakfast occasionally and I'll, I get the mail because my dad doesn't believe in getting the mail. I'm like, what the fuck? Like he's writing a book. He has time to make breakfast for his 13 year old daughter he's home all day he's writing like come on (laughs) yeah uh and like the twilight series the movie version of her dad i think is a lot better yes much less of the incompetence of the novel absolutely her dad doesn't want to believe anything that she's saying and also is very suspicious of dan which he should be (laughs) absolutely i the I think the movie did a good job. In the book, they have to have this whole sit-down discussion about what's going on. Mm-hmm. In the movie, uh, Abra just, like, flashes everything going on in his brain. Yeah, and shows him the murder of the boy as well to be like, this is what could happen to me. Yeah. Um. So the stakes are pretty high. Everyone's kind of on board at this point. They develop this plan. So Abra touches the baseball glove and is like, oh, they're already on their way. To come get me. To snatch me. Yeah. So like, okay, we need a plan. Exactly. So 
The movie plan is a little simpler, so let's just talk about that. Yeah. Essentially, they come up with this way of, because Abra's so powerful, she's able to, like, project her presence. Yeah. So they track her to this park area, this, like, abandoned park, where they go to drug her, but then, oh, it turns out she's not there, but who is there is Dan and Billy with two rifles. And then they have a gunfight. And they start shooting. (laughs) Yeah, Abra basically um, makes her presence, like, go somewhere else. So when the knot is tracking her, they follow it, and it, but she's not really there. So they get in this big gunfight, and uh, I, I guess Dan and Billy are both good shots because they just start like yeah, they kill everybody. Uh, and it's cool because in the book when they're shot or in the movie when they're shot, they just like writhe on the ground for a moment and then just turn to steam. Yeah. Uh, and so this whole shootout happens. They corner. Snakebite Andy, the girl who was recruited at the beginning of the story. Yeah. And she almost, she gets Dan's gun off him because she, like, is putting him to sleep. Yeah. But before she can shoot him, she gets clipped by a bullet Billy shoots. Yeah. But it's really sad because. She has, like, this power of persuasion, not just sleep in the movie. Yeah. And as Billy approaches her. Dan tries to warn him, but it's too late, and she tells Billy to shoot himself. As she's dying, she says that to Billy, and yeah. he does. And so Billy kills himself, which is like, what? I was not expecting that at Me all. neither. Because it obviously doesn't happen in the book, so. No, I know. And it's so sad, because, like, Billy's... I really liked Billy in the movie. Yeah. They, they, he gets this really good scene when they're digging up the baseball boy. Yeah. About him hunting and tracking a deer. And he just felt like a real decent, fleshed-out character. Yeah. And before this, Dan says how Billy's probably like his only real friend. Yeah. So it's like, it's really sad. I do understand though, because the book version, no one dies. Yeah. And in fact, like in this whole story, no one dies in the book. Only the true not. (laughs) Only the true not. That's fair. Uh, And while I do in a different way, appreciate that about the book, I do get in the movie wanting to raise the stakes a little bit. Yeah. Make it more um, interesting and to show like what could happen in this scenario. Yeah. Similarly, Abra's dad is killed as well. So Crow Daddy, who is <laughs> the uh, lover of Rose the Hat, they have great names. They do. Snake by Andy, Crow Daddy, Rose the Hat. Barry the Chunk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Crow Daddy actually is able to track Abra's real presence, tracks her down to where she is with her dad, and puts a tranquilizer needle in her neck and stabs her dad to death. Which is, for me, because we discovered the dad is dead after Billy dies. And it was maybe a bit much for me. I know. I was like, wow. I was like, oh, God. Because, like, her dad was, like, very likable in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, I was kind of at this point, like, I'm like, is this too much? I don't know. Yeah. But it does give Dan a really good moment after where he's he finds a bottle of liquor and he's like so close, so close to drinking again. Yeah. And it is a really good all is lost moment Mm -hmm. where like the stakes do feel very high in that situation. So I did like the setup of that moment in the movie. Absolutely. In the book, these people don't die. They do kill um, the true knot, but Abra is kidnapped by Crow. Yeah. Similar situation. uh, But everyone is still alive. (laughs) <laughs> this is where it gets like very complicated because like when they shoot the true knot in the book, 
the dad is with them and yeah. so is John the pediatrician <laughs> just like shooting him with up with a gun like. <laughs> and it's actually Billy who's kind of like watching her when she gets abducted yeah and he's actually pulled he, he's actually abducted with her yeah also Billy's a lot older in the book he's like an older man yeah so a lot of subtle weird differences but mostly the same yeah Aubrey's kidnapped by Crow Daddy basically and Dan reaches out to her and is able to reach her even in her drugged state. Yeah. Um. And what they do is they they turn the wheel, they turn the world where they switch places. Once again, getting that great visual of yeah. Dan sliding down his floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this part was the the movie's not particularly funny. No. But this scene was so great where <laughs> Dan is speaking through Abra. Yeah. And the first thing like she says is he's like she's like fuck. I'm hungover. <laughs> She's like, I haven't been hungover in a while. And Crow is like, who are you? Yeah. And it's really great. I love how Crow immediately knows it's not Abra anymore. Yeah. And they have this great discussion and they're kind of talking and Crow kind of has this whole speech about like, you just like let a lot of people die for no reason because everything yeah. is the same now. You didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Abra slash Danny looks and starts talking about like them being immortal and he's like makes sense that you like wouldn't drive with your seatbelt then and in the film then uses the their shining and steers the car into a tree yeah and sends crow straight through the windshield (laughs) he's dead he dead (laughs) in the book uh they have this kind of like mental battle where they like have this gun between them yeah and they're like using their like psychic powers to like turn the gun towards each other and they're like who will shoot the gun (laughs) and eventually he does shoot crow so yeah i want to give a quick shout out here to the performance of the girl who plays abra yes because in the scene in the movie crow tells her that her dad is dead yeah and her performance i mean her performance across the board in this film is so good it is but in this scene in particular, because it starts with her crying about that in such a g- dramatic, sad scene. Yeah. And then switches to her playing Danny. Yeah. In, in a her very, body. Yeah, in her body, which was like very funny and effective. Yeah. So like this scene in particular highlighted what a great actress she is. Absolutely. And she was a she's a really newcomer or, or she's like, <laughs> she's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a, a really newcomer. <laughs> She's a really new actress. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see where she goes from here, for yeah. sure. So the endings now are very different. So yes. we're going to break it down like we do sometimes. Break it down. And we're just going to talk about the book ending right now. And then we'll go and talk about how the movie ends. Yes. So book ending. <laughs> uh Dan, around this time while Abra is, after she's safe, yeah, uh, he goes and finds her mom and her uh, great-grandmother who's dying. Yeah. And he sits with her grandmother as she's passing away. Kind of helps her pass over. Yeah. And he does something that isn't obvious at first. Mm-hmm. But essentially what he does is he absorbs her steam or her, her essence. Her breath. Yeah. Yeah. As she passes. And now he's, like, sick with her cancer, basically. Yeah. And it's kind of well done because you don't know what's happening at first. You just know Dan is suddenly very sick. Yeah. He sees the flies on his face. Mm -hmm. And you know something is going down. Yeah. And he sees flies on people's faces when they're about to die. Yes. So he and Billy, they all meet up again. They find Abra. Mm -hmm. She's safe. 
and they establish this plan, and Danny goes with Billy out to where the Overlook Hotel burned down. Because, of course, that's where the True Knot have set up shop. They're like, this seems like a good spot to be. Yeah. Like, the hotel, like, exploded here. There's just, like, good energy. Yeah, I'm getting good vibes. vibes. (laughs) (laughs) We did forget to mention, though, that we find out in the book at this time. Oh, yeah. A big reveal from a story, which I actually guessed. Did you? this. Yes. Because early in the story... Or not earlier in the story, um, Abra's dad is telling her a story about her grandmother. Mm-hmm. Her grandmother died um, when she was very young. And she he tells her basically about how she had um, Abra's mom um, out of wedlock, basically. Because yeah. she was teaching at like this prep school. Mm. And I was like, prep school? Like the place where Danny's dad worked? And I was like, oh, wait. And so you do find out that um, Dan and Aubrey's mom are half siblings. So Jack had an affair when he was teaching at this prep school while he was married to Wendy and had Danny and then like ended up moving out to California. Didn't know that this woman had a baby. Yeah. So it's this kind of wild twist. And like there are a lot of interesting little things that are tied into this now. Like it's kind of. You know, you wonder, you just assumed the connection between Abra and Danny was because they both had a strong shining. Yeah. But now it's like, is it also because they were related? Yeah. And on top of that, like, oh, they they both have the shining so strongly because they have like a shared bloodline. Yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did you think about this twist? So to me, I was like, is this just like a soap opera? Like, <laughs> and then it was her uncle the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, his love child that mm. was like secret yeah. that no one knew about until now. I don't know. I also kind of felt like Danny and Dick did not have a, like they weren't related, but they still had a deep relationship. That's true. So I was like, I don't think Dan and Abra need to be related to have that relationship, but I also do get wanting to give Danny family. Yes. Because he has no one. I mean, he has the AA community and he has friends, but, you know, he was an only child. Both of his parents are dead. Um, So I like that Stephen King is kind of giving him a family through this. I agree. I do. I like that idea. Not that you... Not that he literally had to be blood related. No. To kind of be adopted into their family to an extent. Like, I think that could have happened regardless. Yeah. But I do like the notion of wanting to give Danny a a stronger sense of family. Yeah. And of belonging to, like, a, a group of people and, you know, giving him that sense of home. Yeah. So I did appreciate that. I agree. It did feel a little soap opera-y. I didn't think it was necessary. Yeah. And on top of that, it's like the book, The Shining, Jack was basically the main character. Yeah. And you were so in his head. You knew all the shit from his past. Yeah. Like everything. So it's like. Weird that he wouldn't mention having an affair. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, I'm not sure I buy that he wouldn't have been thinking about that unless like he was just so drunk that he didn't remember hooking up i don't they made it sound like an ongoing thing yeah so i don't think it was just like a one night stand he could have forgotten about but possibly yeah so 
it's a little gray in that area, but I agree. I don't think it was totally necessary for it to happen. I'm a little mixed on it. Yeah. Another thing going on in the book that's small but still happening is that the true knot also is infected with oh my God. the measles. This is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This was weird. They're like, oh, yeah, the baseball boy had the measles when we killed him and inhaled his steam. And then the steam is sort of like carries germs still. And so now we have the measles. And none of us are vaccinated. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is so... I I was like, is this like an anti-vax (laughs) storyline? Where Stephen King is like, this is why you should vaccinate your children? I don't know. It was really weird. But also, it's like Bradley not being vaccinated is what poisoned an entire murderous cult of people. Yeah, but it didn't really save him from dying, though. No, but he would have died regardless. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's just supposed to give them more motivation because they're like, if we inhale Abra's steam, she's definitely been vaccinated. So then that will vaccinate us. And I'm like, how does this work? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Like, what is carried in the steam? Yeah, that's when I was starting to be like, what are their bodies? Like, what... Is any of this like would they inhale someone's steam and be like, oh god, he uh, he ate a lot of garlic today? Like, yeah, uh, like, it was just it was strange, and I didn't like it. Yeah, it's and it's like kind of another problem with the book in my mind is that like the true knot, despite how powerful they are, they rarely succeed in anything. No, they seem kind of dumb. Yeah, <laughs> like the the worst thing they do, and I guess in the movie, and this does maybe add to the movie factor, is that. They killed Billy and Abra's dad. Yeah. Like, they do actually accomplish, like, terrible things. Yeah. Uh, in the book, the only thing is that they manage to kidnap Abra, but then that fails. Yeah. So it's, like, ultimately the, I guess besides murdering a bunch of children. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just kind of seem incompetent to an extent. Like, even in the book shootout scene, they actually don't have guns. Yeah. All they have are these syringes, <laughs> and then they just get shot to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. So they seem a little pathetic. Yeah. But anyway, so Dan is going to this campground mm-hmm. for the final confrontation. Abra is there with him, like, spiritually. Yeah. Like, through the psychic link. Um, And Dan basically, like finds the whole room of the knot people just like waiting inside this like campground area. This lodge. Yeah. And then he's suddenly like (laughs) and just breathes cancer onto all of them. (laughs) (laughs) He crop dusts them (laughs) with cancer. With cancer. Yeah. He like releases the um, Momo cancer breath. (laughs) (laughs) That he inhaled previously. Yeah. From a dying woman. And it, like, kills them immediately. Like, so quickly. Yeah, and they're like, all right, we're dead. He's like, wow, that was effective. Yeah. And so, and because Rose the Hat was waiting for him, or for, she thinks Abra's coming, so she's waiting on this platform. Yeah. uh, While everyone else was in this lodge. And then she's like, oh, shit, wait. You killed everyone. You killed everyone else. (laughs) Yeah. And so then Dan goes up there to confront her Mm -hmm. in this final confrontation. Yeah. Where they start to have this mental, psychic push match. Yeah. And then Abra shows up and is like, bitch. Yeah. And just force pushes her. Yep. Through a railing. Off a cliff. Off a cliff. And she's dead. 
she's done dead. Yeah. And that's basically the essence of it. Yeah, it is a little anticlimactic, I think. It's like a plan where everything went right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. Like, everything does go according to plan, basically. And it is a little exciting because you don't know what the plan is. Yeah. But there is a certain amount of, like... A lack of dramatic tension. Yeah. Because, I mean, besides Abra getting kidnapped, which gets resolved fairly quickly. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of things that, like, go wrong or not according to plan. Yeah. Or, um, like, even Rose's final confrontation, she's still not able to do a whole lot against Abra. Yeah. There is an interesting scene where she mentally controls, like... Uh, Dan and Abra are in this like telepathic room. Yeah. Mentally linked. And she gets Dan to start like choking Abra out. Yeah. And it is interesting. She does it by invoking that memory of him and Dini. Yeah. From the beginning of the story where he like takes her money. Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of like uses that against him, which I did appreciate tying that back into it. Yeah. But he realizes what he's doing and manages to stop. So, you know, not a whole lot of craziness going on yeah and then they also see like a glimpse of like jack as a ghost and he's sort of like hey dan (laughs) and then they're like okay bye well and it's implied that he helped in the final confrontation too because at one point there was like this kind of like gust of wind yeah i don't know i wasn't really into that i thought that was a little silly i don't know i did too it was just like it felt a little cheesy it was like oh and thanks dad he was like, you I bet, gotcha. you bet, champ. <laughs> Go get him, kiddo. Sport. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then we get kind of a little epilogue where we find out that everyone's fine. And Dan is like part of this family now, which is cool. Um, and he's still kind of like helping Abra with her shining and with her abilities and also coaching her through her anger. And he talks about how Jack struggled with anger he struggled with anger and that's something she's going to have to deal with as well. Yeah. So I liked that family connection thing there. And, and that it's not that there may be a problem for her. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. not just like, oh, with Dan there, like everything's everything's fine. great. It's like, no, she still might go through these problems too. like hopefully him being around will help will help. But it's still it's not like a super idealistic ending, which I appreciated. Yeah. And then we have a final scene where he helps someone else pass over. And again, it's very touching. I love those scenes. I do too. It was a good way to end the book. Yeah. It was very hopeful, very positive. And once again, like I, this isn't a criticism of the shining, Mm -hmm. but I appreciate that where that got really dark and cynical and unsettling, this was like a much more positive story yeah. of healing and relationships yeah. and connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I appreciated that it try. It was a different kind of story. Yeah, you know what I mean. It wasn't another isolation story. No, someone said where The Shining was a story about isolation. This one was about escape and pursuit, mm. which I thought was interesting. And more about community as well. Yeah, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And that that was like the thing Danny needed in his life to become like a good person again. So. Yeah. Let's talk about the movie ending. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. So the movie, I feel like, is two movies. <laughs> there's the movie that is like three fourths of the movie. Yeah. And then there's like the last fourth, which the is final a totally act. separate movie. So at this point, it's similar where they have to concoct a plan 
where after Abra kills Crow Daddy, yeah. Danny drives out because Danny is like the only person there for her anymore. Her mom yeah. is still gone taking care of her grandmother. And so Danny goes to pick her up from where she was dropped off at. And then they were like, OK, let's go finish uh, Rose the Hat. Yeah. And she's then, the only one left. now. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else is dead. And they're like, OK, well, we don't know where she is, but we should go back to the Overlook Hotel. Like, it's Dan's idea to go back there. Yep. In the book, that's literally where the knot is located. But Dan's just like, you know what? I've been meaning to go back. Like, <laughs> I left some stuff there. Yeah, let's just go. So they go, and then Rose follows them to the Overlook. And I just want to say that they get all the way up to this hotel in a fucking blinding snowstorm in a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> and let me just say that the whole book and movie The Shining established with us that once it starts snowing, you can't get like in or out. Also, I have to point out the fact that in the movie version, Dan's dad died by freezing to death. Yeah. And in the movie, Dan is like, a white fall jacket ought to be enough. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that should be enough warmth for me. I feel like they wanted it to be winter just to be the same as the movie The Shining. But I was like, that makes no sense based yeah. on what we know about this location. Anyway, they get there and Dan's like, OK, I'm going to wake up the hotel. He goes in and it's clear that his Shining is sort of awakening the hotel again. It's in disrepair. The sets were cool, I will admit. Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was well done. It was a good recreation, but also felt old. And I liked how, you know, because I was like, are they? do they even have electricity up there? Yeah. But as he walks through the hotel, the lights start coming on. Yeah. And I do like this moment. He tells Abra to stay in the car while he's waking it up. Yeah. I'm like, it kind of makes sense that if no one's been there for years, things are quiet probably. Yeah. So he's kind of like walking around. He finds the the door that Jack axed through in yeah. the Shining Kubrick movie. And then he's like, he goes to the gold room, the ballroom as it's called. Yep. He sits, sits at down the at the bar and you're like, oh boy, I wonder what's going to happen. And sure enough, someone starts pouring him a drink. Yes. At first, it's not clear who this is supposed to be. At least I didn't think it was clear. No, no, me neither. But then it becomes obvious that this is supposed to be Jack. It's yeah. supposed to be Jack Nicholson, Danny's dad, who doesn't admit that he's Dan's father. Instead, he's just like, I'm just the bartender here. Yeah, he what, what Lloyd. He's Lloyd. like, I'm Lloyd. Yeah. And so they, what's the point of this? They cast a man who looks like Jack Nicholson. A little? Which, I mean, I guess you can kind of get away with because he's like, I'm not your dad. Yeah. But obviously it's kind of supposed to be. It's like maybe he's changed. Yeah. But also it's like they also cast other people who are supposed to be those people. So it's yeah. like, what what level of... What's happening? They have this conversation where Dan is basically like wanting his dad to take responsibility for what happened in his life. And his dad refuses and keeps saying that, you know, I'm Lloyd, the bartender. I don't know what you're talking about. And... Uh, he also tries to get Dan to start drinking again and to take out his violence on those around him, just like Jack did. I just don't think it really adds anything to the story. No, I don't either. Because, like, Dan already had that moment of going to drink. Yeah. After Abra's dad dies and Billy dies. Yeah. And, like, for me, that was the moment of him overcoming the drink. Mm -hmm. So for him to have another scene where he's like, you should drink. And we do get a I, I do like this little scene of... um. 
Dan talking about when he was younger, smelling his dad's yeah. booze and it's smelling like fire. And yeah. Ewan McGregor just does a good job with that scene. But ultimately, I was like, what? What is the point of this? I don't like. I don't know. It f- felt kind of cold. Yeah. Like, even though I don't want his dad to appear like in the book and be like, like, yeah, you go, kid. <laughs> I also don't like him perpetually being trapped. Yeah. I mean, even though that's implied at the end of the movie, The Shining, I don't really need to see it. Yeah. In this film version. Yeah. Don't like don't remind me of it. No. Yeah. But he overcomes it. He doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. And then he hears Abra honking the car horn, which means that Rose the hat has arrived. They go in the hotel and then Rose comes in. They have this like mental battle with Rose where Rose is in like a version of the snowy maze. Yeah. At this point in the movie, it feels like they're just making as many references as possible to the movie The Shining. Yeah. She sees the elevator doors flooding with blood. Yeah. I'm like, does she really need to see that? Like, I think she's just understanding that there's power there. Yeah. But it was like, do we need that reference? And I actually did like the idea of... Danny's mental maze ma- or, or mental um, palace being the maze. Yeah. Because I mean, at least even though it's like once again, like a reference, it's at least like a different take on it. Yeah. It's not just them going out to the maze. Yeah. Because so many other things in this final act are just like, oh, and this and that. And then retread it, retread it, retread yeah, it. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same thing. This was at least like a take, a different take on it. Mm-hmm. But in this mental battle, they try to trap her in a giant box that is like creeping up behind her. <laughs> Like, slowly trying to close, like, a clamshell, just, like. (laughs) And it was, like, I kind of liked it, but it was also kind of silly. It was. Uh, They don't trap her, and then they're back in the hotel, and Dan has an axe, and then he tells Aubrey to run, and then he and Rose have an axe off. Yes, where he, and once again, she's forcing him up the stairs, and he's, like, you know, Holding stay, the axe. And yeah. I'm like, oh, it's just like the Kubrick shining, yep. you know. Although I will say uh, we've become so much more progressive now because now it's a woman repelling the man up the stairs and threatening him. Progress. What progress <laughs> so is, So much Ian. progress has been made <laughs> in society. Um, she ends up really injuring Dan and starts to like torture him with this injury and, and inhale his steam. And he chooses this moment to open all of his mental ghost lockboxes and lets out all of like the demons of The Shining. And they're all just standing there like from a family portrait. Like, hey, it's like you remember the twins, the naked, creepy old lady. Yeah, the party guy, <laughs> the party guy. <laughs> and then they basically suck the life out of Rose. She's dead. Yeah, they kill her real fast. They do. And but then after they do that, they turn on Danny. Yeah. And they're like and the twins are like, play with us forever and ever. And then they're like, OK, we get it. We Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's a reference. It's the same line. OK. <laughs> it's kind of burped unintentionally. <laughs> um, And then the next thing we see is Abra kind of like running through the hotel and she sees things, blah, blah, blah. And then basically Dan is possessed by these spirits, has the axe, and is chasing Abra like he's going to kill her. And it's so dumb because in Danny's fight with Rose, she axes him in the leg. Yeah. And is shoving her thumb in his leg wound. That's how she's, like, torturing him. 
But now when he's like hobbling through the halls to chase her, I'm like, oh, I get it. His leg was injured so that he can limp like Jack Nicholson did. Yeah. It's like it was all just to have another reference. Another reference. So he chases her into room 217 and bathtub lady's there again. You cannot get rid of bathtub lady, (laughs) apparently, um, and comes at her with an axe. And they kind of have this whole confrontation again where she is like, I know you're the real Danny. This is the hotel talking. And she's like, by the way, that boiler that you turned on when you first got to the hotel, it's going to explode. And he's like, what? And if this sounds familiar to you, that's because this is the whole final act of the book, The Shining. Yes. So we're talking about a different book, not Dr. Sleep, The Shining. This is how The Shining ended. And it makes so much like as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, my God, it makes sense. Because like the how how else could they have convinced Stephen King to make a sequel to Kubrick's movie? Yeah. Unless it was to uh, correct it. Yes. To fix what didn't happen in the Shining movie and to give that original ending. But it just doesn't make sense in this story. This is a different story. I know. And just like the fact, like, I'm all, like all the references aside and the visual things that keep coming back, like that aside, at this point, I'm like, what is the metaphor of him being possessed by the hotel again? Yeah. Like, what does this have to do with anything? No. It has nothing to do with this. No. And... So Danny goes back to the boiler room, but then he's able to stop himself from turning it off. And he's sitting there while it catches fire. Yeah. And then we get this really sad scene that I hated where suddenly he's a kid again. Yeah. And then and Wendy's there. With Wendy's him. with him. And I had this like association watching it back to what Crow said in the movie. Yeah. After he kidnapped Abra and was like, you tried to avoid this, but it's the same outcome. Yeah. Like We still have you. It's the same outcome. Mm-hmm. And that was so much emphasis was put on that that I was like, is that what the like the movie's trying to say? Is that like, oh, Dan- even though Danny escaped years ago, he, he still-, still has to like die here. Yeah. Is yeah. it? Are you, is he trying to say that it, it was like inevitable? I didn't like it. I didn't either. It was so. And like Abra escapes and the everything explodes and you think maybe Danny's alive. Yeah. But then he's there as like a force ghost <laughs> in Aubrey's room later and is just talking with her. But I don't know. I just I love in the book that Dan gets to live a healthy life. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he has all of these horrible things that happen to him and he goes down this dark path and he has all these issues. But then he gets help. You know what I mean? He's emotionally aware enough to get help, to seek, you know, help from people around him. And then he gets to have that life yeah and so to put him in the same situation as jack it just felt unfair absolutely and like jack's struggle like the thing that was nice about that ending in the shining was like he was so shitty yeah but at the end he had a moment of humanity moment of redemption yeah that saved danny whereas this is like danny was good like the whole time and he dies for no reason and suddenly he's just possessed by ghosts yeah and is like i have to blow up the hotel i know i know it was really disappointing i was shocked, actually. I was, too. How different the the movie felt in that last act. It was just really startling. Tonally was completely different. And again, just taking that book ending and mashing it into this separate story, I was like, 
what what are you doing? It I know. It just like did <sighs> It tried to be it all. You know, it tried to do a Doctor mm-hmm. Sleep adaptation. It's like we're gonna do the story of Danny as an adult. But also we have to have all these like Stanley Kubrick visual callbacks to the movie. Yeah. But also we're gonna like end it the way that it should have ended from the book The Shining. And I'm like, this is a lot. <laughs> it is. And like, I love the idea in this version that they can go back to the hotel because it yeah. didn't blow up. And like, if that's what they wanted to do, and if they wanted to give the book shining the ending in this, yeah. like, I think it could have been done. But the problem was they just saved it all for the third act. Yeah. And then, like, by this point in the story, it's funny because, like, the movie was so much pitched on the fact it's the Shining sequel. Yeah. And they go back to the Overlook and ooh. But, like, at this point in the movie, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about any of that. No, the rest of the story was way more interesting. I was so invested in everything going on at this point that when they went back, I'm like, I don't don't really want this anymore. Yeah. And that's what the whole movie is about at the end. Yeah. That's what it's totally preoccupied with. And Dan has to die, which I don't like setting up that. I know. I was so upset. Like, I'm like, why can't he just live? I know. Especially the whole, like, inevitability factor that I was pulling from it. Yeah. Was very, I didn't like it. No. Just wasn't about it. No. Well. So which one was better? I have a feeling. (laughs) You know, The movie was good for most of it. It was. Well made. Really great performances. I felt like they took, you know, what was what I loved about the book. You know, those messages about like, you know, getting help, addiction and death and like thinking about these things. Um, And they did it well. But yeah, just the end just blew it up, so to speak. (laughs) It did. (laughs) I remember because like, honestly, this movie isn't doing so well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of box office numbers. And partway through the movie, I remember thinking, like, God, this is so good. I'm like, I'm going to tell everyone to come see it. Yeah. Because it's so good and I want it to do well. Yeah. And then by the end, I was like, uh, wow, they really derailed this entire thing really badly. Yeah. And it's so upsetting because, like you said, I really liked it until the final act. Yeah. So it's such a bummer that it... It is a bummer. It took that route. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to be the book for me. It's the book for me, too. I, I can't even... It was such a good adaptation. I know. Up until that point. I really do want to stress, though, if you haven't read this book, definitely check it out because when I went into it, I didn't have high expectations. Yeah. I was like, ah, you know, Stephen King's, like, writing the sequel to one of his best-selling books. This is probably, like, a cash grab. But... I really loved, like we were talking about, the tone of the book and its optimism and also this idea that you can face your demons and you can come out better. Yeah, yeah. And also kind of like having this positive view of like therapy, this positive view of counseling and group therapy and having like people in your life that that support you, I thought was very important. We don't really get messages like that in um, books, especially horror books. So I agree. And also it was interesting reading a newer Stephen King book. Yeah. Cause I think the, the latest one that we read was it. Yeah. Which was still pre 1990. It was in his Coke phase. It so. was, he was still in his Coke phase. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting seeing how he's changed as an author. Yeah. And there's still some parts in the book that are like, Oh yeah, there's nipple references. He can't stop talking about nipples and kind of like some weird representations of African-Americans or minorities, but... Yeah, there were some... We- but, like, 
ultimately a lot less controversial. No N-words. No N-words. I am happy to report. Although we do get a uh, ra- a racial slur for Asian Americans in it. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> progress. Pro- some, some progress. Uh, but, yeah, so I appreciated getting to read a newer Stephen King book on top of it, so. Yeah. I'm glad we got to do this. Me too. Yeah. Let's do lightning round. Lightning. Okay, so first up, uh, this is the part in the book that I read, and I was like, oh my god. I'm like, I told Adina, this might be the raunchiest thing I've ever read in a book. (laughs) And it's this older, older woman who Danny is helping to um, pass, you know, as Dr. Sleep. And when he walks in the room, she starts talking to him, and she said, (laughs) uh, she's complimenting his ass. And she said, the ass of a man is the piston that drives the world. And you have a good one. In my prime, I would have corked it with my thumb and then eaten you alive, preferably by the pool in Le Meridin in Monte Carlo, with an admiring audience to applaud my frontside and backside efforts. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, wow. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's so specific. That's like the raunchiness of it is yeah. just how specific she is. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Corking his ass with her thumb. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> In the book, there's also this, like, side plot in the final confrontation where there's this member of the True Knot, and her name is Silent Sari, and (laughs) she's very silent, um, and Rose hides her in this shed and gives her a sickle and is like, hey, when I say the magic words, you come out with a sickle and, like, chop up anybody who's out here, basically. (laughs) So we have Silent Sari in the shed with a sickle. (laughs) <laughs> who eventually she gets strangled actually by the ghost of like one of the overlook hotel people. So yeah. Danny like releases the ghosts, um, kind of like he does in the movie, but he only has two and the bathtub lady is like Ash. So she like died in yeah, there she just in his box. Um, but the other guy is still out there. So he strangles silent Sari in the shed with a sickle. <laughs> <laughs> What a great plan by Rose. How could they have failed? Yeah. Just planting someone in a shed and be like, be really still. Yeah. And no one will see you. (laughs) Uh, In the movie, Abra's poor, poor mother. Oh, my God. She was just taking care of her dying grandmother. Yeah. And then she comes home to find her murdered husband and her daughter daughter that is gone. And this is when... Uh, Dan and Abra are on the road to the Overlook. Abra gets a call from her mom on her phone and her mom is like, where are you? Because there's like police cars behind her. And Abra is just like, I can't tell you. And then she's like, I love you. (laughs) And then she throws the phone out the window. I know. I was like, that's so cold. Like she should have just not answered. Like, I don't even think she said. Did she say she was fine? No. She's just like, I love you. Like, oh, my God. Sounds like she's dying. At the end, I'm, like, shocked her mom isn't just, like, I know. insane. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. God. <laughs> <laughs> There's this weird bit in the book where they're, like, setting up how Abra is, like, super, like, telepathic and she has a shining and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, Abra predicted 9-11. Because <laughs> as a baby, like, she gives both of her parents, like, dreams where she has, like, the number of the flight that like crashes into the twin towers, like on her chest. And then it was just like, and she wouldn't stop crying. And then as soon as the event happened, she stopped. I don't know. I was like, this is dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, uh, 
okay, was that necessary? Yeah. Uh, real quick mini addition is something that's interesting is that Ewan McGregor is only like a year older than the actor is who played Danny in the original Shining. Really? So Ewan wow. McGregor is actually the, the age, age, despite how handsome and young he still looks. He's actually like the age Danny would be. Yeah. The exact age. That's so cool. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, that's it for lightning round. And that's it for the episode. Thank you so much for listening, for going on this journey with us through so many books and movies that we did not expect to be <laughs> talking about in, uh, this in depth. Yes. We hope the, the web is a little more clear for you now. Absolutely. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at cover two credits with the number two. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, find us, talk to us. You can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you thought of Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Uh, any suggestions you have for future episodes or what you want to hear. Yeah. Uh, join us on Patreon as well. We just had a bonus episode that came out for our patrons about upcoming adaptations that we'll be seeing in uh, 2020. So yeah. that's really exciting. Um, all our patrons get those bonus episodes at no matter what level you pledge. Um, we really love our patrons. They're so important to us. They give us so much happiness and affirmation. Yes. It makes all of this so worth it. So thank you again to all our patrons and thank you to all of our listeners as well. Yes. And if you can't be a patron, then uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Uh, It's hugely helpful for people being able to find us and discovering the podcast. And uh, every little bit helps. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. Yep. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.